0: Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we watched The Music Man, a 1962 musical starring Robert Preston as a con artist named Harold Hill. Set in 1912, he attempts to swindle the conservative townsfolk of River City, Iowa. He convinces them to pay him to start a marching band with local boys, but the twist is he knows nothing about music. The plan is to scam the townspeople out of paying for the marching band uniforms and then skip town. But the local librarian, played by Shirley Jones, sees through his ruse.
1: So, Gavia, you had seen this movie before, yes? Yes. I need you to explain to me, and also by extension to my mother, with whom I watched this film, why you forced us to watch (laughs) two and a half hours of this movie, because we need answers we were not happy last night.
0: This, Morgan, this did
1: not go over well.
0: Would you like to do a different film for this episode,
1: Morgan? Well, I think it's too late because we already watched it and we announced it publicly and it's we've committed. I did not spend two and a half hours on this for no output. So we're recording this fucking episode. It's, it's happening.
0: My opinion is that while overlong, this film is an entertaining piece of light entertainment with a couple of very fun musical numbers, which was also a colossal success during the time.
1: Yeah, this is good. we haven't done an episode like this in a while where we have like genuinely just truly opposing op opinions. I literally was saying to my mom afterward, I was like, I just feel so bad if anyone like watched this. <laughs> as a result of us saying we were going to do this. And she was like, well, it's Gav's fault. You can say it's Gav's fault. And I was like, I'm going to say you said (laughs) that. Oh no,
0: I really didn't think. I thought you were going to be like, this film is okay.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh no. From the first scene, I was like, oh, oh, this is unfortunate. But I was watching with my mother and we were both just saying nothing because we were watching a movie. And there's a song quite near the end called "Shapoopy," which I,
0: <laughs> which is like parodied in that like, what is it, like Family Guy or something?
1: Yeah, which is all about how if a girl like kisses you on the first date or the second date, you know that she's no good. But if she waits till the third date, then you've got a, a good one on your hands. And my mother
0: just started like covering her face with like horror. <laughs> and it was like when you're in a movie
1: theater and the whole movie, the whole audience is sort of like going along with the movie up to a point and then something so absurd happens that the audience just like loses it and like can't take it anymore. And we both just were like, oh my God, this movie's so bad.
0: Like We just could not cope. (laughs) See, when my friends and I watched this, we were just like, this is amusingly conservative.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I found it, well, offensively conservative, but also just like a bad film. So there were two things going on that I did not enjoy. One, the plot and the politics. And two, the filmmaking (laughs) and the music. Really just the whole thing did not go over well with us.
0: (laughs) Oh no, we really should have done old school West Side Story.
1: (laughs) Yes, the whole time I was thinking we could have just done an episode on West Side Story. But alas... It's too late. We'll do that later in the year before the new West Side Story comes out. I mean, there is stuff to talk about with this movie because the ways that it fails are kind of like mesmerizing to me. I should say, and I think we said this at the end of the last episode, that like the reason I wanted to do a musical was that obviously In Heights just came out and we can't do that at the moment because of the release situations. But I, I did see it and I thought it was fine but I was really frustrated by the way it was directed. And the way that musicals tend to be directed now, which is that like, they'll just cut like a thousand times in a musical number instead of actually showing the dancing. And I've been watching a lot of old musicals recently, and I really love them as a genre. um, And they're just way better at like framing that stuff. And The 50s in particular is kind of, like, the peak time for that genre. And obviously, the politics of those movies are often pretty conservative. A good example of that would be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which, like, the plot of that movie is, like, a complete insane horror show. It's, like, these men, like, kidnap these women in this, like, Old West town because I don't even remember why. I mean, they want to marry them, but I don't remember the exact conceit. And they all wind up, like, falling in love. And you're like, this is a feminist nightmare. But- (laughs) (laughs) The dancing in that I think is meant to be considered like, perhaps the best dancing basically in like any movie from that time. It's unbelievable. However, (laughs) this movie, I found that there wasn't very much dancing. What there was I found to be subpar. And I thought it was directed poorly, and I didn't enjoy the music. So really, I was like, this is oh, not no. a good example of what <laughs> I want to be talking about to like the masses who listen to our podcast, who like maybe aren't as familiar with these old movies. But you should explain why you like it, because I don't want this to be like an hour of me just being like, <laughs> I hated this film.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not a diehard The Music Man stan. Um, I found out about this movie last year via the journalist and kind of music critic Grace Bellman, who during lockdown, I mean, she's like a musical theatre person. And during lockdown, she recorded this very funny lip sync video where she plays every single part in the introductory song, which is this kind of like a patter song, but it's like it's a group of guys who are all traveling salesmen on a train and they're all talking really fast and they're all kind of talking about being traveling salesmen to the sound of music that is like a train. And I was just like, this video is incredible. This music critic, who I really respect, is clearly completely obsessed with this musical. I'm going to watch the movie. And I did. And I found it very enjoyable because I love a con man and I love a patter song. Politically, obviously, it's complete nonsense because it's simultaneously this (laughs) very sort of clean and uh, nostalgic view of like early 20th century rural Iowa even though it is kind of making fun of Iowa and also the story itself has is like centered around this romance which like so many musicals of the period is about some guy who's like relentlessly pursuing a woman who probably shouldn't go out with him Um, but as we uh, discussed in today's sister episode which will be up on the Patreon which is all about the musical Victor Victoria also starring Robert Preston uh, sometimes one can just have to overlook that element. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just watched this with my friends earlier in the year. And while it is too long for this type of film, I found it amusing and I liked almost all of the musical numbers.
1: I think that I that kind of like patter song that you're describing, I have very minimal patience for. Like, I just don't ah, enjoy it well, very
0: much. <laughs> and I was very entertained by the premise of this is just like, Everyone who's in this small Iowa town is very old-fashioned and therefore very susceptible to the music man's charms. And he shows up and the way he persuades the townspeople that they all ought to part with their hard-earned cash to pay for band uniforms, which, once again, hilarious concept, is that... um, all the boys of the the town will be like swept up into vice by the local pool hall if they don't get something constructive on their hands. So there's this like, what I think was a very entertaining Patrick song, where he like riles up the town's moral panic. In this is this sort of like maniacal preacher being like, your children are all going to start learning slang. And like part of the joke from the audience's perspective is just the fact that like everything he's like kind of portraying here is really dangerous is like so mild because it's like what if they start feeding dirty books what if they go to the pool hall
1: <laughs> well in that song i was like is this movie actually going to do something interesting because when he shows up sort of as his role as like the music man in a scene like one or two scenes later he has a couple of lines about how like he's going to protect the like pure boys of the town right and i was like Ah, yes, this is rhetoric that I'm familiar with, right? But the movie-slash-musical does nothing with that idea because it is inherently so conservative. There's no, like, subversion of any of the stuff that is going on. And this character, I found myself thinking as it was going along, like, this is such a great, completely inadvertent metaphor for America
0: but that's also what I thought when I was watching it because I was like, oh, this guy's just like fully conned everyone.
1: <laughs> Except for this like nice librarian who's like, ugh, this guy The sucks. one
0: relatively, she's yeah, she's sort of the figure who's like the educated figure who's comparatively feminist compared to the kind of matriarchs of the town who are very conservative. And the story is basically about her trying to point out that there's this like mad con man in their midst. And then he's just, like, gaslighting her the whole way through.
1: <laughs> but she, for, like, no reason, except that she doesn't have a husband, which is her only personality trait, aside from the fact that she likes books. All of a sudden, she just decides that actually she's she's really attracted to him and she loves him. And by the end, she's, like, preaching to the town about how, actually, like, he's changed so much for them. And why would you want to get rid of him he's he's changed everything he's like he, it's he's so great and i was like and and she said that she knows that he's a con man and i was like so you know that he's just full of empty promises and that there's nothing there but you just think that he seems great and like externally there's just it just seems good i was like that does seem like like america to me right like You know that it's all just shit all the way down, but, like, it just seems like it might be nice on the outside, so let's just give him everything he wants and get married. What?
0: And an intriguing commentary on this is the fact that it was nominated for six Oscars. Yes. (laughs) In such storied
1: uh, ranks as Avatar. (laughs) And, I mean... There was a good article in the LA Times about this musical because as we mentioned last week and has been like all over the news for the past year or two, this is like the big revival that's been slated to be on Broadway for a couple of years and has been pushed back because of COVID um, and Hugh Jackman is going to be in it. And they've been like desperately trying to save this production, which is going to happen through obviously the like financial issues through having it been delayed. And then also Scott Rudin was the producer on it. And then they had to get him off of the show. And And it took Hugh Jackman
0: a long time to even vaguely disassociate himself from Scott Rudin. (laughs)
1: It's, it's been, it's been not a great situation, but this article, which was written by um, Ashley Lee in the LA times. She's like, so why is this, why are they making such a desperate effort to do The Music Man in 2021. Like, why is this the musical? They've hired this woman, Kate Horton, to be the executive producer to replace Scott Rudin in the production. And the quote from her is, The Music Man is a joyous love letter to the United States and a celebration of what we can achieve when we come together. We will ensure our team enjoy the right conditions for creating their most brilliant work, blah, blah, blah. And so this writer is just like, this is a musical about a con man and he totally gets away with it and it's like a celebration of a white guy who's just like a piece of shit and is celebrated for it and of course as with so many other musicals from this period it's like ah yes the good old days of middle america in the early 20th century where everybody was white and i'm sure that the cast of this show will be more diverse but like ugh.
0: Yeah, I remember reading about like when Oklahoma first debuted, which was in like the mid-20th century. And it was from this theatre company that just had like flop after flop after flop. And they didn't expect Oklahoma to be successful because they were like, this, this musical has no sex. It's like about a bunch of farmers. <laughs> and then it just became this like colossal hit because everyone was just like thirsty for, I mean, good songs, but also Oklahoma, apparently. <laughs>
1: Well, I was thinking about that a lot watching this because, well, there was the very well received sort of like dark revival of Oklahoma on Broadway a couple of years ago, which for people who aren't familiar, they didn't change anything in the book of Oklahoma. Like they, it's all the same, but they rearranged the music so that it was, it was only like eight instruments and they cast a lot of non-white actors in the roles and just like the tone of it was very different from the traditional Oklahoma and really brought out the dark parts of that musical, which is there's a lot about like sexual violence and like murder in that show, but also we're kind of drawing out stuff that's clearly not intentional in the book of that show about like the like emptiness of the American promise, right. In a really interesting way. But also there was a big, Sort of traditional flashy production of Charade, which is also Rodgers and Hammerstein, on Broadway a couple of years ago that I went and saw, and I remember the reviews at the time were were very positive and were very focused on sort of like the technical or like more showy creative aspects of the production. So like I think Justin Peck did the dancing, and like everyone was talking about the dancing, which was great. But I went and saw that and was like, um, this is really regressive and like bad and, and they had gotten a lot of press too for casting a black man in the lead and like he did a great job he was like the actor was great but if I remember correctly like there's a lot of stuff in that about like he like, hits the female lead in that or something that like, there's something to do with domestic yeah, violence not familiar that's not, read. it's not like a critique like it's just part of the and it may be really uncomfortable and Watching this, I was like, this is kind of like sub Rogers and Hammerstein in the sense that it's not as good, like the music's not as good, but it's in the similar vein of like this kind of conservative retrograde mid-century kind of like, ah, America of the past kind of thing, which has just not aged well, I think. But we have culturally just like imbibed this stuff so much that it's in the water, in America. My mom was saying, like, we were watching this and she was really perturbed by a lot of the, like, sexist stuff in particular. I'm sorry, I've put, I've put your mother through this. <laughs> it's fine. Um, and there's one scene also, which, like, there's a reference in this LA Times article that, like, people have to decide whether to cut it in all of the regional productions where, like, some of the ladies in town come out for one of the, like, some event that they're doing all dressed up in, like, really, like, just horrible Native American costumes. Yeah. Oh. But my mom was like, I feel like like one of the high schools in like the area like did this really recently. And she was looking it up, and there was a regional production very recently, and like one of the high schools in this area did it, like within the past few years.
0: I mean, this was like such a huge musical. It ran for like a gajillion performances.
1: Yes. It ran like over a thousand performances, years and years. And what she was saying, which is true, is that like it's really hard to get the rights for musicals for like high schools um and so these old ones that are kind of like the big classics is kind of what they do over and over again like Oklahoma gets done all over the place but this one I was just like how could a high school do this this is like appalling but I think that this kind of stuff just doesn't get thought of in a critical way because it is just like I mean in the the context of Hugh
0: Jackman I have just had a thought about that that seems like a direct successor to the massive popularity of The Greatest Showman. Because while The Greatest, I've not seen The Greatest Showman, so I cannot like give a fully informed critique. But the reason why I did not see The Greatest Showman is because the entire premise of that movie is that it's a modern musical biopic of P.T. Barnum, the circus master. He was a monster like this guy was an exploitative monster but there is also already another musical about pt barnum called barnum which does more closely play into his real role in american culture and literally includes a song called there's a sucker born every minute where he talks about how he like cons people and the greatest showman's kind of premise is it takes hugh jackman who is this universally beloved figure and turns pt barnum into this sort of like family man who's just trying to like succeed and he has this really impressively like diverse cast of people and it's like okay so if you can't make the greatest showman again because i think he did already do like a touring concert production of songs from that musical (laughs) let's revive the music man starring hugh jackman who is perfect casting for this (laughs) um and then i guess rejig it somehow I mean there's also like several songs in this that like people will know just from like the general ether
1: (laughs) yeah it was my my mom again was saying and I thought this too Like, and I thought this seeing charade which I was totally not familiar with and it is just so funny, these old musicals, a song will come on and you're like, I know that. <laughs> and I had no idea that it was from I was like, this. 76
0: trombones is like from a musical? <laughs> it's like, that song kind of sounds fake to me almost.
1: <laughs> the one she sings at the end. Something to do with like Moonlight or whatever. Yeah, it's like incredibly famous and recognizable. And I just kept thinking, this awful man does not deserve this like beautiful <laughs> song from you and like there are some some good songs in this it's just that there's so much there's so much music and a lot of it is the kind of patter stuff which i don't mind like when you're actually in the theater but in this movie i found it kind of grating and a lot of what i was thinking watching it was this would probably be fun in the theater even if it's still kind of retrograde that's okay right you're sort of like well this is entertaining but i couldn't really get past that thought watching the film. And I think part of the problem with the direction is that it's so focused on reconstructing the show, which does make sense given how unbelievably popular the show was, right? Like they're obviously trying to just like export that experience to everybody in America who didn't have the opportunity to go see it. But again, there's not a ton of dancing, but you kind of just get the sense that they're just trying to be like, okay, here's the dancing. And it's the opposite problem of all the cutting now. Like they almost don't do enough with the camera to capture what might be exciting about that.
0: I mean, I think part of the problem there is also like it's outdoors. Like they set a lot yeah. of it sort of like an outdoor scenes in the town, which is not like an instinctively good place to have a dance sequence that's being like directly transferred from the stage.
1: Yeah, and even in the more emotional scenes, the camera can do a lot to convey feeling, right? I just watched my side story, which again, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point later in the year in the run-up to the release of the remake. And there, there are some scenes with a lot of people in them, but like the ballads that are just Tony or Maria, I'll, there's a lot in close-up. And like, they're just shot incredibly well so that you get a sense of like, feeling from them and the guy who plays Tony in that is not good but it doesn't matter because the movie's so well directed that you're just like swept up in it and the woman who plays the love interest in this um Shirley Jones who is very famous and was in Oklahoma too is fantastic like she is an incredible singer she's really good but the camera doesn't do enough to like put you inside her feelings I felt like that when she's singing those the big ballads that she gets, I could appreciate the music because her voice is so great, but I felt kind of removed from the experience because the cameras just kind of like set back a little bit and the lighting's just like very bright. And it's like, here you go.
0: I do think this is a still a good example of like what we were kind of talking about generally in terms of the clash between modern and classic musicals though, where it's like they went out of their way to kind of cast musical theater people specifically robert Preston in the lead role who i think is great no matter well i'm not sure if morgan agrees but i thought i think he's very entertaining and he was the guy who kind of originated the role on broadway and played it for like something like 800 performances which is difficult for me to believe conceptually um but like because in the lead roles you've got these people who are like they specialize in stage musicals it comes across very differently from a lot of contemporary mainstream musical movies because so many of them are geared towards a casting people like Emma Watson who simply are not strong singers and are not Broadway backgrounds yeah. <laughs> and b as Morgan has said the fact that like the cinematography is a disaster in modern films because like they either don't show what's happening in the performer's full body or like they just edit everything to three second cuts which removes all of the wonder of a musical.
1: Yes, I thought he was fine. I think the problem with that performance for me is the romance, which just like goes beyond his performance in terms of the problems. But I was thinking about Hugh Jackman a lot watching it, obviously, because we know that this is coming. I now kind of really want to see that show in compare I'm them. I'm very but,
0: curious, because like, how yeah. do you update that, like, conceptually?
1: <laughs> I know. but... I think he's really good, Preston, at playing like the facade of this con man. But for the romance to work at all, I think you have to have a sense of like something behind that, right, that she would be drawn to, which I think Hugh Jackman could absolutely like definitely do very easily. Like that's in his wheelhouse for sure. A movie I was thinking of that he did recently that he was incredible in was um, the HBO film Bad Education that aired last Ooh, year. Oh I would really I, like to see that. You should definitely watch it. He's just fantastic in it. Um it's a different kind of part because the character is not I mean, he's meant to be charismatic, but like he's he's bad. Like <laughs> he's not playing a good person in that. Based on a true story of like this guy was like a guidance counselor or something in a in a high school in Long Island. He was a scammer. And you both get the, like, again, the facade of someone who's incredibly charming and is, like, scamming all of these people in the town and the underbelly of this guy who just is really just fucked up and miserable. And I think having the balance between the two sides of that, even if the tone is different, right? Like, this, to have a scammer story, you need, you need to have that other... Part Like, my mom pointed out, which is totally true, he never has the scene where he, like, admits that, like, he's been wrong or that, like, he's learned from this experience, right? Like, he says to the the little brother of, of the love interest at the end that, like, he is a liar, but he doesn't have a moment where he, like, basically is shamed, which is really important for... A movie like this, because in order to buy into the romance and the idea that like he's reformed, you have to have the moment where the character is like in the bottom of the like narrative, like trench, basically, yeah. right? So that they can come out at the top of the Redemption arc.
0: Is there a precedent for Broadway show's inserting a stylistically similar new song <laughs> in
1: to like give a new beat? Like, legally speaking, what's the <laughs> I don't think that that will happen, but I was really curious to see how the performance changes it because I feel like Jackman could make this character a lot more appealing to me, but there's still like essential problems <laughs> with the script. There was another, I mean, they did um, my fair lady on Broadway recently. And that's another musical from around the same time that has like real problems and what they did with that was reinsert a lot of the dialogue from Pig Balian, which is like more feminist than My Fair Lady, and basically like they just like had taken that out of My Fair Lady when it was adapted, and they like put it back in, and slightly tweaked the ending, but not with dialogue. Like they, it was like she leaves at the end of the musical, but they just had her like go off as opposed to like adding a scene, right? Um, and I thought that was an incredibly smart adaptation of that musical to make it kind of work for modern audiences better while also still being like a very conventional musical theater experience. Like they're wearing fancy dresses and, you know, but that's kind of a unique situation because it's based on this other text. That's also very familiar to people. and like, they can draw on that. Whereas this one, like, what do you do? (laughs) Like, it's, it's hard to be like, we're doing the music man and we've hired someone to write some new songs. Like, (laughs) you
0: know, (laughs) I was intrigued to note that there was a 2003 Disney made-for-TV adaptation of The Music Man Has Met as well, which starred Matthew Broderick and Christian Chenoweth. And I watched like a little clip on YouTube which looked terrible, because like, they did the Train song from the beginning, which is all like riffing on the idea of it being like sounding like a train, like a steam train. And it's exactly the modern problem of like, they're just cutting every three seconds and you can't see the people who are singing and you can't see what's happening. And I'm like, why would you do this? But also in general, it seems to be a completely straight adaptation because it's like a Disney ABC adaptation. But also Matthew Broderick is one of the least intrinsically trustworthy men ever. Like if, if Matthew Broderick <laughs> tries to sell me something, I'm like, hell no,
1: <laughs> get out. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was cast because he was in The Producers.
0: Or a Ferris Bueller. Yeah. You know, he's a he's a Broadway kind of guy. <laughs> but like, God knows that is not the energy I think would be good to bring to the music man.
1: <laughs> I mean, he, again, like he'd been in like a very famous popular musical where he plays a con man. So I could see yeah. where it comes from. But yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. And The Producers is kind of, I mean, it's another musical that is like celebrating god men in america but it's also like parodying
0: yeah it's that, it's right? far more satirical
1: <laughs> yes which this almost anything would not be. <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not sure I have much more like detailed commentary on this movie, which as I, I can said, I I only apologize
0: because I misjudged
1: <laughs> thinking that this would be a bit of light entertainment to
0: discuss. Oh and instead, my God. I've caused Morgan, who is a more discerning musical theater fan than I, <laughs> oh
1: you have at God. least
0: uh, filled a hole in your education of extremely successful Broadway musicals because this one it's was true. a huge... And yeah. a Colossal Success as a movie. I can only imagine because it was completely inoffensive and all of the little middle class white families could bring their kids to it multiple weekends in a row.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, my mom was like horrified to discover that it had beaten West Side Story for the Tony.
0: I mean, the reviews, the theater, because I looked at a few re- theater reviews from when it came out in like the late 50s. and the reviews were very positive. And it's not like, I mean, these were New York musical theater reviewers. They were not yeah. a conservative group. They were very, you know, embedded in the industry.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, West Side Story won the Oscar, obviously. But I said, like, West Side Story, having just watched it, which, again, I don't want to say too much about it because I'm sure we're going to cover that soon. But I had seen that in high school and not since. Like, I really did not remember it well at all. And that movie is, like, it's artistically challenging. I mean, Sondheimers, the lyrics, right? Like, he didn't do the music, but... Not that it's, like, confusing to watch, of course, but, like, it's definitely doing some tricky stuff, and I think the movie is basically a masterpiece. Like, it's really bold. So I could certainly see why this would be the sentimental pick at the time, right? I mean, it's the same as the Oscars like to go for things that make them feel good. West Side Story, famously not a happy ending, so... (laughs) But uh, more on that film at a future time. Next week, we will be discussing the new Steven Soderbergh movie, No
0: Sudden Move. It's a a kind of heist period crime thriller type movie set in mid-20th century America. And it has an all-star cast, including Don Cheadle, Benicio del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, Amy Simons, Brendan Fraser, Kieran Culkin... Uh, and various others. Ray Liotta's in there. They've got the whole gang. Primarily men, but it's that type of film. And uh, we love a Soderbergh, so we're going to check that one out.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to watch this. I saw one review that was said it was like his best heist movie since Ocean's Eleven, and I was like, done, sold. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's firmly within that genre, but I love that genre, and I love Soderbergh, yeah. so... And I'm sure
0: that most of our listeners are aware of Steven Soderbergh, but just to uh, jog your memory, obviously along with Ocean's Eleven, which are like his biggest, most mainstream films... He also made Magic Mike. Actually, you know what? Magic Mike, also enormous mainstream film. Um, (laughs) And Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and Out of Sight, and Traffic, and Aaron Brockovich, um, and Logan Lucky a few years ago, which we did a podcast on in 2017, starring Adam Driver. Um, He's an extremely prolific filmmaker, and he does what he wants, and a lot of the time he likes to do a wee heist thriller.
1: Yes. And he fucked up the Oscars this year, so So we have discussed him recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's great. That is available on HBO Max uh, in the U.S. I'm not sure about the international distribution, but if it's not out yet, it will certainly be coming to other countries. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Uh, thanks so much, as always, for listening to this slightly acerbic episode of Overinvested <laughs> Uh, Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online?
0: You can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor, and you can find me on YouTube at behind the scenes.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at Overinvested Pod. Our Tumblr is Overinvested Podcast, and our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.